Hello, greetings. Thank you for your interest in spiritual matters. Thank you for giving us the gift of spending time as we continue to explore what God has made known in Christ and in Scripture. My name is Ethan. I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're a non-denominational group of disciples making disciples in Los Angeles. We'd love to be of encouragement and assistance to you. Let us know what you think about our conversation in the comments. And if we can be of any further service, please reach out to us at VeniceChurchOfChrist.org. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. Let us consider what Matthew records in Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 5. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible anguish. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Instead, just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I say to this one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my slave, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those who followed him, I tell you the truth, I have not found such faith in anyone in Israel. I tell you, many will come from the east and west to share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, just as you believed, it will be done for you. And the servant was healed at that hour. So Matthew records Jesus is back here at his quote-unquote home base in Capernaum. We believe that he, uh, of course, is from Nazareth, but he was living at the time in Capernaum. And he has you know, done the, what we consider the Sermon on the Mount. We're starting to see his uh, fame grow. And here we have this very interesting situation where we have a centurion who is a Roman soldier and undoubtedly a Gentile, somebody of the nation's and the centurion asks Jesus to heal his servant. Is his servant Jewish? Is his servant Gentile? Does not say explicitly. Uh, who is paralyzed in anguish. And as we see here, Jesus agrees to go heal him. So I will come and heal him. But the centurion says, I am not worthy to have you enter my house. Just say the word. Because he understood because of his nature of understanding authority, that Jesus had that power. And that if he just said the word, it would thus be done. And Jesus will marvel at the faith of this centurion. And he declares, maybe you can say confessed, maybe even lamented, that he had not seen such faith in all of Israel. That he then, verse 11, 12, will talk about how many would come from great distances, from east and west, and would recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob which is talking about the eschatological banquet, the final banquet of the, the feast of the, those who are saved, are, are, are glorified by God, and they're from all these other places. While many of the sons of the kingdom, who are these? Well, the ones who were to inherit God's kingdom, the people of God, here the Israelites, would be cast into the outer darkness. Uh, and this is a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Outer darkness is, a, is an interesting metaphor for uh, condemnation is used by Jesus in Matthew multiple times. And every time he uses it, he uses it in reference to the people of God. Uh, he doesn't talk about it that way when he's talking about perhaps people who rejected God outright. Uh, but it makes sense. If you understand and confess that God is light and God is life, then uh, to believe that but to be cast in the outer darkness is to, in fact, be very much separated from him. And so these are people who presumed to be close to God, but in truth are not, and they are going to be uh, left in anguish in that place. 
uh, when it's all said and done. And the story concludes with Jesus telling the centurion that it would be done for him as he believed that the servant would be healed at that very hour. So it's interesting text here to consider. A lot going on here for us to think about. And the first thing to think about is the centurion himself, because he is not a Jewish person. And the first, this first time in the Gospel of Matthew that we've seen uh, Jesus interact in such a way with a with a Gentile, and not just any kind of Gentile, right? Uh, because he is a Roman centurion. He is a middle manager in the Roman imperial army, uh, the imperial army that, granted, at this point in the history of Second Temple Judaism, is spending more time in a police-like role than in a active military combat type role, but absolutely representing the oppressor, representing this oppressive power, a pagan oppressive power, no less, uh, and attempting to maintain order and domination over uh, the Israelites. But just because that they represent this very uh, ugly thing to the Jewish people doesn't mean that they necessarily uh, are going to hate any individual one of them. And in fact, we see that centurions often are, are, are people who seem to understand how to negotiate and work within these communities. And so we, we shouldn't assume that this centurion is somebody who is a persona non grata. He might be well known for helping other people out. Uh, he may be somebody who is seen kind is kind to the community and is well regarded by the community. And he is at some level a God fearer. Uh, God fear is a seems to be a class of of, of um, Gentiles that was understood. People who had come into some understanding uh, of the God of Israel. And maybe did not go all the way, maybe did not get circumcised, maybe did not keep all the dietary restrictions, something of that sort. Uh, but people who would, you know, join the synagogue, would learn about God, would have some knowledge of God uh, and what he had made known in the scriptures. And what's interesting about this centurion here, and of course, the scandal of the story, and we should definitely not miss out on that, the scandal of the story, and, and probably why Matthew was placed it so prominently, is the fact that Jesus has not seen any such faith in Israel. Um, the fact that uh, he has this great faith, and the greatest faith that Jesus sees so far is not among Israel, but this, this Roman, this not only you know Roman, but a, a Roman military officer. The very person who would be the most hated in many respects, for many reasons. Um, and this is the same kind of commentary that we'll see in other places, for instance, like this, the story of the Good Samaritan, uh, the fact that the person who helps out is is a person who is a hated person, the Samaritan, while two of the people of God who should have helped out, the priest and Levite, just continued on their way there in Luke 10, uh, 30 through 37. Uh, we'll say that. And, of course, this is the com basis of the commentary that, that Jesus will make in Matthew chapter 8. And it's looking forward to the idea in Romans 11 that the idea of the Jewish people as intrinsically the chosen people is no longer going to work because there are branches that are broken off. Uh, so other branches could be grafted in. In the illustration that Paul has there, it shows us the same tree. Same tree. You know, God is still working with his people. It's just that the specific branches that, that are being that are there uh, may be different. And so what is making this man be in this position? What has led the centurion to have this pride of place here? Well, he understands authority because he had figures above him. We can imagine he, he as a centurion, he's in charge of a cohort, cohorts. 
He's got, of course, his legion leader and his general and the emperor above him. And he's got his servants, right? He's got all of the soldiers underneath him. And, of course, here is his servants because he has uh, some people working for him in his, in his personal house. And because of this, he understands how authority works. Now, he understands how it works because in his life it's very much uh, militarized. What made the Roman army famous and what allowed it to take over the world and maintain control for so long uh, was because of its discipline. That is what made the Roman army the Roman army. And its discipline was enforced by very draconian laws and draconian obligations so that everybody knew what they were doing and did that job well. And that made for success for the whole may not have made the greatest experience for any individual. But what it did teach the centurion is an understanding of how power works. And since he recognized that Jesus had power, he did not need Jesus to be there. He knew Jesus could just say the word. And since Jesus said the word, it would be done. And so he saw Jesus as that authority. He saw Jesus as that power. And it may actually be partly that little bit of gap, that little bit of difference. Uh, it's interesting when you see this, I mean, the story in Nazareth, right, where, where everybody's like, isn't this Mary's kid, Joseph's kid, isn't this, don't we know his brothers and sisters? And the whole point there is that there is almost too much of a familiarity. And if you think about in your own life somebody, you know, that you knew when they were kids, right? Or you, know, you went to high school together or something, and then they become something great in your life. But it's just you-know-who. You know? That's the kind of situation that the Nazarenes have with Jesus. Capernaum's not that far away. And it's kind of a way almost all Israel might feel about Jesus. Which is there's that, that proximity where they're, even if they are seeing that God is working through him, that proximity means, but it's just Jesus, and they're not giving him the due that he is, 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 should receive. But here this Gentile does, because there's that little bit of difference, a little bit of gap. And so he sees that, that Jesus has this power, that he has this authority, and that if he has this authority, and it comes from God, that he can just say the word, and it'll be done. And that is great power and faith. And so this is something that leads Jesus to marvel. And he doesn't do that very often. And when he does do it, it's generally not for good reasons. So, um, it's a really profound moment here, because he says you see no greater faith than this man, this centurion. One of the things about faith that we need to remember is that it's not like we go through life without faith. We all have faith. It depends who we put the faith in. And not just who we put our faith in by our profession, but also about who we put it in 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 the way that we actually live, and the way that we actually act. So a lot of people will say they believe in God or a God, uh, but when you get down to how they're living and acting, it, you can see who's really in charge, and it's not this God. Uh, but here we have a man who who has this great power. I mean, Jesus said he'd come, right? Jesus said he'd come. But the centurion not just sees the how great Jesus is, but in contrast, he sees his own limitations, weaknesses, and failures. I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, which is one of those things that's not as as often commented on in the story, is, is that realization uh, of his unworthiness. Peter is also, uh, the one thing Peter is definitely good at, is always a realization of this. He, he never presumes his place too terribly much. He recognizes himself as a sinful man from the beginning, and so does the centurion when he sees the great power of Jesus. And... 
So that is why it's so important for him to see that well, this man has great power. This man is the, is, is the Messiah, is the one God has promised. And therefore, this man will be able to do what he says he can do. He doesn't need to come under my roof. I'm not worthy of this. And so it's a very humble posture, a very uh, confident posture, a very faithful posture. So that's right, humble and confident. Humble in terms of oneself, confident though in Jesus, confident in the power of working within Jesus. And this is a really powerful story for us. So when we look at this story, of course, one of the big things we pull away from this is, do we recognize the authority of Jesus? That's what the centurion recognized. Jesus has power. Power recognizes power. And of course, throughout the rest of the story, when power sees power, power is threatened by power. So when Herod hears of Jesus or the chief priests and authorities or the Pharisees, they are threatened by Jesus' power. They want nothing to do with Jesus. They want Jesus to go away. Here's a man who has power and sees the power in Jesus and is humble about it and realizes he's out of greater power. And that is why he puts his confidence in that power. And so Jesus will live, die, be raised again in Matthew 28 and, and then say all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. And therefore, he has power over all. And he delegates that in part to the apostles to establish how things should be done under his reign. And that is why we are to consider ourselves as sons of the kingdom in Jesus. That because of Jesus, we have the hope and confidence of salvation, uh, that we have access to God through his blood. We can be uh, children of Abraham by faith, and we can inherit the promises. But we have to recognize that great power and to not be threatened by it, but instead to submit ourselves in it. And that's what the centurion does, and we can ask if we walk by faith. Uh, because the centurion had faith. He understood that Christ could act without actually being there physically. And you know, can we be willing to have that kind of faith? Are we not necessarily expecting that God will come under our roof to do things, but that God can do things and that we will see their pattern and their sign? Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 1, the great passage about what faith is. Do we have that strong conviction? Do we have any assurance do we feel assurance of things that we have not seen? Uh, which is a very difficult and challenging thing for us. Uh, we are more and more conditioned every day that we, we have to see it to believe it. Uh, and yet, there's so much going on in the world and our lives that we do not understand and do not see. Are we humble enough to recognize that and to put our trust in where the power truly is? Are we manifest, demonstrating that faith in our lives? Are we trusting in God, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, resisting the works of the flesh? Are we encouraging one another? Are we uh, basing our faith on the power of God? And it gets to the point of, are we trusting uh, the God made known in Jesus? Uh, are, we, are we proclaiming and embodying the gospel that is God's power? Uh, or is it one of those things where like many people in Israel, they certainly had belief in God, but the way they believed in God was very much conditioned to a certain set of, of concepts that led them to not be able to recognize what God was doing in Jesus. And Paul would be concerned about this with the Colossian Christian, the Colossians 2.8, in terms of the philosophies or traditions of men. He was concerned about this in Christians, that many would uh, have you know, itching ears and, and heap up for themselves teachers to suit their own desires in 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. Uh, is our faith like a mustard seed that may start small, but will grow and will saturate and permeate our lives? And, you know, what are we doing to develop our faith? You know, uh, one of those things that 
the life and faith is not static, it's very dynamic, and it doesn't always head in a positive direction. That we have our ups and downs, we have our, our better times and our worst times. And that we need to always seek to glorify God and to do His purposes. In Matthew 6.33, that we cast our anxieties upon God because He cares for us in 1 Peter 5 and verse 7. That we truly trust what Jesus says in Matthew 6, that God will take care of us if we let Him and if we maintain our confidence in Him and keep looking toward Him. And again, we can see the, the great faith that, that this centurion has and the reason that he marvels, right? And he just marvels. And the hope that Jesus extends. That there will be many who have come from east and west and will share in that bank with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that is what we should aspire to. That we may not be part of Israel according to the flesh, but we may be part of those who come from the west to uh, share the bank with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, but understand there will be many sons of the kingdom who will be thrown out in the outer darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this may not be one of the messages we like to focus on. Uh, many want to malign it. Many wonder why it's even there. Because we can see throughout the world and, and, and throughout even our own tendencies, there is uh, the ability and, and, and many will turn aside and will justify and rationalize almost anything and uh, not truly walk by faith in Jesus, but will make a God of their own invention and pursue it and or will distort and warp what God has made known in Christ to their own ends or to the ends of some institution or some power. And there will be an accounting for that. And, and may we do all that we can to avoid such things, to have the kind of faith that Centurion had, uh, that we can uh, give Jesus reason to marvel, that we have great faith in him, and that he'll be glorified in it for all time. We'd love to hear what you have to say about what we've talked about here uh, when it comes to Matthew chapter 8. And if you'd love to hear what you'd have to say in our comments and continue our conversation. Let us go to God in prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. We're so thankful for everything that we have, because we understand everything that we have in our comes from you. We're thankful for life, for the portion of health and prosperity we enjoy, for um, all the many blessings of the people and places and things in our lives. Uh, we are very thankful that you have sent Jesus and that we can come to understand you better through him. And we pray that we may take this story of Jesus with the centurion and, and see from it how important it is that we put our trust in you through him and that we uh, recognize that he is Lord, and that we should orient our lives around everything that you, he has said and done, and that we should seek to embody him uh, so that we can share in relationship with you and to glorify you and proclaim what you have done in him uh, to all the world. We pray that you would guide and strengthen us to that end, that you would heal those who are ill, comfort those who are in affliction, that you would preserve life where it is in danger, and that you would give to those who are in need and provide for what they need. Continue to guide and direct us to this end until the Lord Jesus may return and we can share in that banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the saints. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Again, so thankful that you've joined us. If we can be of any further service as a Venice Church of Christ, please let us know at VeniceChurchOfChrist.org. And may the Lord bless and keep you until we're able to meet again.